Culture Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. <laughs> I'm Shannon. And this week we are joined by Whitney. Say hello. Hi, Whitney. <laughs> I'm Whitney. <laughs> um, we're joined by Whitney so that we can t- uh, discuss uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, you already forget what we're talking about? No. <laughs> no, it's just been a long day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're talking about To Kill a Mockingbird today um, because it is Harper Lee's birthday this month. Um, and I think the day we're releasing it, not to put pressure <gasps> on you, but I think it's today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So April I, 28th? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I will definitely be releasing this episode today. Or, you know, if it just happens to be yesterday, <laughs> that's good too. We're in the ballpark. That's yeah. what's important. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but yeah, so before we get into that, we are going to get started with our Media of the Week segment. So Whitney, you're our guest. Tell us about what you are reading or watching or listening to right now. Uh, all right, there's a couple things on my radar this week. So I'm currently at the very end of the audiobook of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Yay. Pie Society, which I have read before, but listening to it, they have different actors reading the letters from the different people in the book, and I haven't read it in several years, and so I'm like psyched about it to see the movie, and I'm just forgetting how much I, I had forgotten how much I love this book and connect with the characters in it. Um, And also I'm a huge New Girl fan, so (laughs) that is uh, back, and the second episode is airing around the time when we're uh, recording this, and I just love Nick and Jess and can't wait to see what's (laughs) happening with that gang. Nice. Yay. I have audible credits, so I'm now going to get that book. (laughs) (laughs) Highly recommend. Super worth it. Nice. I always need audiobook recommendations. (laughs) Um, I have two (laughs) as well. Yeah. Um, So for starters, I mean, I feel like I've been listening to a lot of just good random music this week. Um, But I really, I don't listen to a lot of modern country music. I listen to old country music. (laughs) But I really like Casey Musgraves. Um, She's kind of like this edgy, I don't know, she like... Talk, sings about smoking pot and there's an interview with her in this one song she's like yeah I was on acid and came up with this idea so she's a little edgy but her new album came out and my favorite song from it is High Horse and if there's such a thing as like country disco that's what this <laughs> is so that's really fun that sounds definitely worth a listen yeah. <laughs> like to hear what that sounds like yeah, yeah. for no other reason it's pretty fantastic um and have we talked about queer eye yet i feel like maybe we did but um, maybe if we, we haven't didn't. we should Let's i definitely can join in that conversation yeah. um i don't know why i'm behind on this but now i've watched half the season and it's like i just decided all of a sudden i need to watch this thing everyone's talking about it is the most delightful like hot you're it reaffirms <laughs> that humans can be good and love each other and be charming people. I don't everyone yeah. watch it. Yeah. It's a reboot of the old show where five gay men decide to give a makeover to a sad straight man. Yep. <laughs> so um I am a little bit obsessed with Tan France. 
He is amazing. Anthony is my Anthony is also great. Um, He's smoking. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. Tan France is actually from Salt Lake. And um, right. a guy that I work with got to interview him for a magazine article, oh. that, which he writes on the side. Um, and uh-huh. I was driving home a couple weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure Tan France was in the car behind me on the freeway. I can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So obviously it happened. Yeah. But it's true what they say you need to have like eight hours of free time before you start because you will want to watch everything all in a row. Yeah, for sure. Really, I keep crying after each one of them, so I need a break <laughs> to like get over. Whereas I don't cry at things, so I can just like go straight through and you feel know. it without the tears coming out. <coughs> so, so good. Me. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, what am I doing this week? Uh, <clears throat> so as of the date that this is being released, I will have seen Infinity War. <laughs> yep. Did you like it? <laughs> yeah. Were you surprised? <laughs> Definitely. Have we talked about how Marvel rescheduled that, bumped it a week up, so now I'm on yeah. vacation during oh. Infinity War oh, and no. I'm still bitter about it? Okay, you can go see it on vacation. I I might have to. The people I'm going with are going to be ticked if oh. I do that. That's too bad. Anyway. Well, go on vacation or stay off the internet for yeah, a week. I'm so. seeing a Hamilton that night instead of Infinity War, so I kind of feel like I would choose Hamilton anyway. Cool. Yeah. So Infinity War for me. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm so Andrew is in Scouts. He's in Cub Scouts. Um, and the his co Cub Scout leader is trying to schedule a camp out for that weekend. So I might be going yeah. to see it alone. But <laughs> anyway. Bad weekend. Yep. Um, cool. So moving on, we're going to talk about <coughs> excuse me. We're going to be talking about um, Kill a Mockingbird and the sequel, which recently came out, which is Ghosts Out of Watchmen, both by Harper Lee. Um, so before we get into that, the first thing we're going to do to kick off this discussion is we're going to talk about our first exposures to To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, so Whitney, what was your first exposure mm-hmm. to To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, so I was quite a precocious child, like reading probably at like pretty young age and read a lot so I remember reading this book in like fifth grade uh and since then it is my answer to my favorite book of all time which a lot of English majors like don't have a favorite book of all time but I do and it's this one unequivocally (laughs) will never be matched um so that's kind of my first exposure to it and it it always keeps coming back to me in my life um my family lives in Idaho and our next door neighbor uh, they have had a series of dogs, and most of them have been named after To Kill a Mockingbird characters. Uh-huh. So they have Atticus and Scout Aww. and Bradley, and so um, there's definitely a, a neighborhood love for this book. That's great. Um, I had a boyfriend in high school. They had finches in their family, <laughs> and so they named them Scout and Atticus, <laughs> which I thought was genius. That's adorable. Anyway. How about you, Shannon? Um, yeah, I thought I was young reading this book when I was 12, so you beat me. I think I was in seventh grade, um, which maybe isn't young, but I like, I feel like it's kind of a heavy subject for middle school or elementary school. Um, yeah, I love it too. Um, it's maybe not my favorite book of all time, although it's up there. I would say though that, so I hate The Great Gatsby. Um, and so this is my answer to the great American novel. Like, I don't think there has ever been a better American novel. Yeah. But. Cool. 
Um, yeah, my first exposure was probably about the same time as you, Shannon. So I was in sixth or seventh grade, and it was required reading. Um, thank goodness, because I probably wouldn't have picked it up on my own. Um, but I love the book. It's yeah, it's great. It's like you said, it's one of the great American novels. So great. Well, um, so we're gonna kick this off in order to um, get a better understanding of *To Kill a Mockingbird* and *Ghost Out of Watchmen*. We first wanted to start with talking about the author, Harper Lee. So, Shannon, take it away. Oh, me? Why me? Oh, I thought, oh no. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> we can all talk about it. Okay, let's all talk about Harper Lee. That's cool, too. No, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I, I only know like the basic details. Whitney, I think you right. gave a good summary I mean, of it. Uh, I, Harper Lee, I think, uh, she, she grew up in a southern town. She's very similar to Scout. You can think of... A lot of similarities um, uh, between Scout and Harper Lee. Her full name is actually Nell Harper Lee, and Nell is like Ellen spelled backwards. So um, I've read a couple of like unauthorized biographies of her because she's also <laughs> a very private person. Um, in the later years of her life, she didn't like people um, coming to ask for interviews, and she didn't like um, people trying to make commercial um, commercialized to kill a mockingbird. Um, but she grew up with a lawyer father, so again, there's the similarities with Scout. Um, had an older brother, just like uh, Jem. Uh, was good friends with, uh, I just forgot his name. Truman Capote. Truman Capote. This is my favorite part of the story. <laughs> the inspiration for Dill. Uh, and uh, went and to she New York. went and helped him do research for In Cold Blood, yeah. which is an awesome and gory, horrifying book. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, two childhood friends come out with two of the great American uh, pieces of literature. Uh, She originally wrote uh, a manuscript that was Ghost at a Watchman and submitted it to a publisher. They said, we like some of this. Can you rewrite it a lot, basically, (laughs) with our help? And uh, that became To Kill a Mockingbird was a huge success obviously went on to become a film and after that she never published any other books um aside from ghost had a watchman which came out right before her death but um yeah that's kind of her life mm-hmm. mostly a that's southern perfect. lady just down there writing yep won the 1961 pulitzer prize as a note to you mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know yeah. if there's anything else <laughs> i mean that's good um <laughs> Yeah, it's very clear from her work in these two novels that she grew up in the South and really, like, knew the South. Um, There's this line in, I think it's the first chapter of To Kill a Mockingbird that's describing how in the South it's like, you go out on your porch and you sweat and you go inside and you take a bath, go back out on your porch, sweat some more. (laughs) Um, And, like, having spent some time in the South myself and having lived there for a little while, I'm like, yeah, that sums it up pretty well. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, anyway. She cool. also has the cadence of a Southern writer. Oh, like, yeah. Her voice is so Southern, and you find it in similarities in Flannery O'Connor and um, other Southern writers. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, let's awesome. get into plot summary. Shannon. Let's do it. This yeah. Is <laughs> this is my part. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. Um, so the book is about Scout Finch, or Jean Louise Finch, um, she lives in Maycomb, Alabama, so this really like close-knit southern town um, in the 1930s. I think when the book starts, she's six years old. Do I have that right? Or eight? Or I she's think pretty that's young. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, she so she has a, an older brother, Jem, and then her father, Atticus, um, who is widowed, and he's a lawyer. Uh, there's also their housekeeper maid, I'm not sure what to call her, but Calpurnica, um, who is black. Calpurnia. Calpurnia, sorry. Wow. I'm going to butcher, like, I always butcher names. It's just my <laughs> trademark <laughs> at this point. Um, so, let's see. And it, the whole kind of first part of the book is just, like, kids living in this town in the summer, and it's really fun. Um, it's a real coming-of-age novel. Um in the book, they so Jem and Scout both befriend this boy, Dill Harris, who he lives with his aunt in the summer, and so he kind of comes around once the summer's back. Um, and all of the kids become fascinated with this kind of spooky house on their street um, that's owned by the Radleys. Um, and so there's been rumors around the house that, so they know uh, Mr. Nathan Radley is the one who owns the house, but he has a brother, Arthur, who's... Uh, nicknamed Boo, who's lived there for years but has never like come out of the house, and so there's a lot of mystery around that. Um, I can't remember exactly what the rumors are that he like uh, stabbed his family. Right. Or he was like then really he was, wild, like, cutting up a magazine with some scissors, and then like sort of... his mother walked in the room and he stabbed her in the leg. <laughs> Something of that nature. Yeah, really wild kind of stories kids make up. Yeah. Um. So there's that. There's this whole fascination with the Radley house. Um, and we, the book kind of covers a bunch of years, so the first part goes through pretty fast. We have Scout going to her first year of school, and she hates it. Um, she's really a tomboy, and so she doesn't like having to dress up for school, and, um, so there's that. She already knows how to read, and so the teacher's kind of like, we're supposed to teach you how to read, and, um, so she kind of gets into scuffles there. Um... Another thing of note is, along with this fascination with the Radley house, um, Scout and Jem start finding there's a tree on the property, and they find, like, gifts in the knot hole of the tree, um, and they don't really know where they're coming from. Um, let's see what else. So, going back to the Boo Radley stuff, another summer, the kids, they're acting out the story of Boo Radley, and um, Atticus kind of puts a stop to it and is like, leave that guy alone and don't bother him and all this. Um, and I think, let's see, I'm getting this mixed up. I think this is where um, the, there's a pretty famous line in the book um, goes, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. Um, and so, I mean, a lot of the book is about just empathizing with people. Um, and so that's kind of the situation with Boo. Like, think of him as a human and not um, just as this ghost <laughs> person. But anyway, they're still kind of roaming around the Radley house. And on the last day of this summer, they decide um, that they want to sneak up to the property. And I think they're trying to leave Boo a letter to coax him out of the house. Um, and Mr. Radley comes out and starts shooting at them. And Jem, they all run. But in the process, Jem loses his pants and um, has to go back for him later because he realizes they'll find out it's him if his pants are still there. Mm -hmm. And he finds the pants, they kind of ripped on the fence. He finds them mended and like neatly hung over the fence like someone had found them and expected him to come back. Um, they also... Uh, keep finding presents in the tree, including, like, these figures that have been carved that look like Gem and Scout. 
Um, but Mr. Radley ends up putting cement in that hole so that they can't find anything else in it. Um, another weird happening is that there's a fire at the neighbor's house and um, everyone kind of runs out because the fire could catch and spread to the other houses in the neighborhood. And Scout ends up with this blanket over her shoulders because it's kind of cold out and no one knows really who put it there. Um, so there's kind of you something, there's people roaming around. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. Well, so throughout this story, Atticus, who is a lawyer again, um, is called to defend a black man named Tom Robinson, who's been accused of raping a white woman. Uh, no, I don't remember her name. Mayella Ewell. Ewell? Yep, mm-hmm. that's right. I'm getting it. <laughs> um, and so when the kids are at school, like, they're kind of picked on or they call Atticus names. Um, and the town's just not happy with this, that he's defending a black man. Um, it's a pretty racist community. Um, let's see, but... Yeah, let's move on. At some point, and this doesn't happen in the film version, but... Um, Atticus is kind of like worn out and spending a lot of hours working on this case. And so they bring their aunt, uh, their aunt comes to live with the Finches. Uh, am I missing any major details for where the trial happens? No, that's about right. Okay, great. Um, so this trial that happens, um, I guess the major event before that is that, um, so Tom has been incarcerated in this, I can't remember if it's like the state jail or a county jail or something. Um, but they move him to the local jail before the trial happens. Um, and there's a mob that is going to come and try to kill Tom. And so Atticus, to prevent this from happening, waits outside of the jail to stop anything. But the kids, um, who are just rambunctious and are always um, getting into trouble, have... Um, Jem kind of suspects, like, I want to know where Atticus is gone and whatnot. So they all go to the jail and see what's happening. And they kind of step up as the mob's threatening Atticus, like, get out, let us get to Tom. Um, he, the kids go up there and Scout notices, um, the father of her friend, Walter Cunningham. And she starts asking him, like, oh, I know your son, Walter, and he's a good kid. And you remember you brought us food that one time and starts talking to him to the point where Mr. Cunningham is now, like, uncomfortable with what's been happening and just suggests that they all leave. Um, so then we get to the trial. Um, the kids sit in the balcony with all of the black members of the community Um Throughout the trial, it becomes, like, pretty clear that, well, so what's, Tom is being accused of is raping this 19-year-old white girl, but it becomes clear that Mayella had actually propositioned Tom and was the one um, who, yeah, kind of invited him over to help with things in her house, um, and then she ends up kissing him. And then she was caught by her father, who beat her. And um, then she decides to accuse Tom of rape in order to cover her guilt and for doing something that's not accepted in this society. Um, There's a lot of evidence around that. Um, One of the witnesses says that Mayel's right eye was black um, and her father is left-handed. And that's the best way that would happen um, to leave those injuries. Uh, And Tom's right arm is... um, what's the 
His left arm is also, he injured it in a cotton gin years ago, so he Mm -hmm. can't really use it at all. Right. Um, So anyway, a bunch of evidence like that comes up. Um, If you haven't read this book or seen the movie, like the best part for me at least is Atticus giving his final, um, what is it called in law? His uh, His closing argument. Thank you. That's the term I was looking for. um, he has this beautiful thing about, um, I don't know, just he pleads with the jury to please do the right thing. And you've seen the evidence that this man didn't do anything. And a lot of this is prejudice within the society. Um, but anyway, despite all of that, Namakis is really like a, a great performance. <laughs> I, law words. Um, he, the, all, the jury made up of all white men convicts Tom anyway. Um, Bob Ewell, um, who's the father, his name's Robert E. Lee Ewell, right? Which is, <laughs> makes the whole thing even better. Um, he, after that, threatens Atticus, um, and spits in his face and all these things and is kind of vowing his revenge for the accusations, um, that Atticus made. The black community, however, really embraces Atticus Finch for what he's done. They, um, leave him a lot of food and... Um, just have a lot of respect for him and his family. Um, although Atticus says that they're going to try to appeal the case and all that, um, Tom tries to escape from prison because he's innocent and he's shot to death. Um, even in spite of Tom's death, Bob Ewell still wants revenge. And so um, he ends up... <laughs> though you're snorting in the apartment. No, like what sorry, I say. that was Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he, so then Halloween comes around and he, um, Jim and Scout are at a Halloween party, um, in the film Scout is dressed as a ham, which is a really important <laughs> detail in my mind. Um, it's one of the greatest costumes of all time. I know two people who have had that Halloween costume and it's pretty beautiful. Um, anyway, they go to a Halloween party and return from it. And while they're like going through the woods to get back to their house, Bob Ewell attacks them. Um, or attempts to attack them, but wouldn't you know, Boo Radley comes out of the shadows and intervenes uh, to save the kids, but he stabs Yule in the process and he dies. Um, Boo carries uh, the wound, Jem uh, gets wounded, but he carries him back to the house. Um, they're trying to figure out what happened, and the sheriff is there and like knows what happened. Boo killed him. Um, but he insists in order to protect Boo Radley that you'll tripped over a tree root and fell on his own knife. Um, yeah. Boo disappears again and isn't seen for the rest of it. Missing anything. I, we should explain the title because I didn't have a good spot to work that in, but I'll read that part. Um, there's, I had forgotten about this like weird detail, but there's, um, there's a part one summer early in the book, uh, there's a mad dog that's like running through their street and, uh, Calpurnia calls Atticus and says, get down here and fix this. And he comes with some police officer, someone that he thinks will kill, uh, the dog, but the guy keeps saying, like, no, Atticus, you should do it. And it turns out that Atticus was once known as One Shot Finch and was, like, a very, he was a good shot. And But he wanted to teach his kids, like, that's not the way to answer, um, to solve your problems, is not violence and whatnot. 
Um, but when he was learning how to shoot and what he kind of teaches Jem is that the one thing you don't kill is a mockingbird. And I can, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Um, and they ask their neighbor a little bit about it. And they say, um, <coughs> excuse me, the neighbor says, your father's right. Mockingbirds don't do one thing. Uh, don't do one thing except make music for us to enjoy. They don't eat up people's gardens, don't nest in corn cribs. They don't do one thing but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Um, and so you can compare that to, I mean, Boo at the end wasn't doing anything except trying to protect the kids, so it would be wrong to um, put him in jail or try to take him to trial for doing that. Um, the same can be said of Tom, but... He didn't do anything wrong except try to help this girl. Um, there's a lot of nuances I'm leaving out that they, like, taught um, when they uh, questioned Tom during the trial. He says that he feels sorry for Mela, and that's not heard of <laughs> for a black man to feel sorry for this young white girl. Um, anyway, so we can talk more about that. Now, but that's, that's the sum of it. <laughs> yep. Great. Um... Well, should we go ahead and move on? We're going to do plot summary for the sequel, which is or prequel. Yeah, it's sort of a, a prequel sequel in that it was written before, but takes place after the events of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and a lot of what I kind of take away from reading this and from other critics is that you kind of have to read it with like more of an editor's eye and less of a like, this is the gospel of To Kill a Mockingbird and the world of To Kill a Mockingbird. Think of it as like a Pottermore extra of like, this is what Harper Lee was thinking before she actually came up with the canonized version of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh dear. Um, so it, it, we, uh, it opens with an adult scout uh, coming home on a train from New York City to visit her family in Maycomb, Alabama. Um, her family at that time consists of uh, her dad, Atticus, and her aunt, Alexandra, um, who's living in town to help Atticus. Um, Jem, we learn, has passed away from a heart condition, the same heart condition that killed their mother. Um, she's picked up at the train station by her boyfriend, Henry, um, who's a childhood friend of hers, um, who's also Atticus's law partner now. Um, they have some conversations about whether or not they should get married. She's kind of coy about it. Um, doesn't really see herself going down that road with Henry, but she's thinking about it. Um, she gets home. Um, she and her dad and her aunt start talking about politics of the time. So Brown versus the Board of Education has just been passed. Um, so it's, um, you know, the mid fifties and there's definitely some racial politics in the air. Um, she finds a pamphlet that her dad has been reading that is obviously uh, racist and uh, kind of focuses on how to slow down the process of segregation. So she uh, kind of follows him to a town meeting where there's a whole bunch of white men in the community talking about how to achieve that end to slow down the process of segregation. and. Um, it's kind of a shocking moment for anyone who knows the real Atticus Finch, <laughs> the quote unquote real Atticus Finch of To Kill a Mockingbird, because you see him and you see her boyfriend, Henry, both at this meeting in support of let's, you know, eventually have segregate, uh, desegregation, but let's kind of, um, have it slowly so it doesn't 
ruin our southern ways of life um and scout herself has a very big like crisis of uh life um and in some ways it kind of just the rest of the book deals with that of should she still love her father um for be even though he has these beliefs that she totally disagrees with um she there's plenty of flashbacks to her childhood and there's some really um nice scenes in there um with her interacting with Jem and dill and you can see how those became the inspiration for to kill a mockingbird um there's a lot of uh holes in it too um it sort of doesn't really have a strong conclusion she ends up just having two really long conversations at the end of the book one with her uncle jack who is atticus's brother who's kind of trying to explain to her um, you know, you have to take him for all of who he is, not just for part of who he is. And then she has a, a conversation with Atticus as well, where they kind of come to, you know, terms where they can agree, but they're never going to be the same again. She's never going to see him as this amazing man she thought he was as a child. Uh, so in some ways, I see Ghost Out of Watchmen as addressing some of the harder questions of race relations that you don't really uh, find addressed in To Kill a Mockingbird and some of the stuff that still feels really relevant right now, like I don't necessarily agree with, uh, I know a lot of people who don't disagree, don't agree with their family on politics, but they have to spend time with their families, mm -hmm. so well, how do you deal with that kind of thing? Uh, so that's kind that's of not relevant to anyone right now. What you find in Watchmen. Uh, huh. So it's a uh, if you can take it with a grain of salt and not uh, <laughs> let it taint your vision of the final polished gem that is To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, it's an interesting read. Hmm. Thanks. Nice. I think I'm gonna leave it tainted in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, let's let's talk about influence of this book. Um, this is, I mean, like we've said before, this is one of the great American novels. Um, so, what do you guys think? Like, how has *To Kill a Mockingbird* influenced pop culture, literature, society? It's a loaded mm. question. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think there's a lot of novels that came out after *To Kill a Mockingbird* that I see as being. Um, really like sort of in the same vein um uh roll of thunder hear my cry by um mildred taylor i want to say uh, i know it went right. in newberry <laughs> uh i sort of see it as like the companion piece to to kill a mockingbird because it's same time period also the pretty deep south and it's a black family that's poor that's dealing with um you know they go to school, there's scenes of the kids going to school, they have a friend who gets in trouble with the law, and it's not really a totally fair circumstance. Um, and also I think more recently, like The Help is definitely like sort of the exact same thing where there's this yeah. white central character interacting with a lot of um, African American characters and trying to help them during you know a time of um, social change in the South. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Great. <laughs> I'm um, trying to think of other things. And just rereading it again, because I haven't read it since I was 12. Um, I saw the film of it more recently than that. But um, I didn't realize how much of it... I mean, it's 
about race relations, but it's also just having empathy for other people and how they relate to boo is also like, you just need to try to put yourself in the shoes of someone else and understand them. And just what a great lesson that is for yeah. people that reading it that are around their age, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's definitely like Kill a Mockingbird is one of those movies and stories that I want my kids to read and watch because I want them to learn not only about um, tolerance and understanding between you know races, but also just between human beings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like to go set a watchman. Like I, you know, it kind of ruins Atticus all the time. <laughs> no. But, but at the same time, it's it's also very realistic. And that's you know, growing up, kind of like what you said, growing up and learning that your parents, your idols, are only human. You know? Yeah, that's, definitely. That's a good thing to come to terms to, and it definitely <laughs> forces you to do that. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird is required reading in so many American high school classes as well, so I think mm-hmm. that it's just sort of almost part of the American collective consciousness at mm-hmm. this point. And I remember my high school English teacher, when we read it in 10th grade, she always asks kids at the end of the year, like, who are the characters that you'll take with you? And she says Atticus is always at the top of that list of, like, he's the person that you want to believe exists in the real world. And so, you know, having read both of the versions of Atticus that Harper Lee um, has made public, (laughs) uh, I see that, you know, I'm glad that she gave us the one we all want to believe in rather than the one that, like, we encounter all too often. Mm -hmm. Um, So... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the fascinating things I find about both of these books is that both of them at their core are about a girl coming to terms with the fact that the world is not as just as she believes it should be or wants it to be. Um, I mean, like in, we haven't really talked about this yet, but in To Kill a Mockingbird, there are also some really interesting, like, feminist things going on. Like, you know, there's the the person who... (laughs) I always forget who it is, but somebody's telling her, like, you should be wearing a dress. You should be wearing yeah. a skirt and a camisole. <laughs> and, like, you're embarrassing your father and, like, staining his reputation by not doing that. And, you know, like, the very people who are shaming her for being a tomboy or pressuring her to be more, quote-unquote, feminine are the same ones who are, like, they're some of the worst people in the books. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so she kind of, like, learns at a very young age, like, what's expected of her as a woman and it doesn't line up with what she expects of herself. And so, yeah, just at a young age, coming to terms with the fact that the world is not the way it should be, you know? I was going to say they also have this moment where they're talking about who was on the jury and the kids mm-hmm. are upset that Tom didn't um, get off. And um, they say, well, I mean, there are no women on it they make some comment about women aren't allowed and the kids are shocked i just Mm -hmm. like throughout the book that you get the children's perspective of it because that's the more i say they're yeah like they don't know all the social norms and all of these things and so you get the reaction as it should be maybe Mm -hmm. like (laughs) Like, from their center of what their moral consciousness exactly versus Mm -hmm. like what they've been told should be right or wrong Mm mm-hmm Yep, yeah, definitely. Okay. Can I talk about the film just a little Please. bit? <laughs> um, I watched it again last night, and I, I'm i not one who thinks the book is necessarily always, always, always better than the movie. Um, but this one, for this being like the great, it, one of the 
American classics, the movie totally lives up to it, I think. And it's really close to the book. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of it. But I, it's one of the greatest movies of all time, too. And I think that was a tall order for them. Yeah. Um, I read this little bit of trivia that Harper Lee was so impressed with Gregory Peck's performance in it that she gave him her father's watch. Aww. And I'm like, that's so sweet. <laughs> but And I remember as a kid, too, I would watch these like nerdy... Um, movie countdown things and the American Film Institute made Atticus Finch the greatest hero of all time in film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think... The them, AFI 100? Yeah. Which I wish they still made. <laughs> yes, I loved those. Um, yeah, they did one like greatest heroes and villains and Atticus was at the top and I... So the film is just as revered as the book is, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. for sure. Yeah. Um, I think I might have... I know I said my first exposure was reading this in middle school, but I think I might have seen the movie first because the whole time I was reading To Kill a Mockingbird, I pictured Atticus as um, Gregory Peck. He's so great. They're sort of inseparable at this point. If you've you've seen the movie, Gregory Peck is Atticus. To the point that I have, I'm such a To Kill a Mockingbird nerd that I have the special edition DVD or whatever, and yes. I was watching some of the special features uh, recently, like today, and uh, uh, Gregory Peck is telling this story about how uh, the first day on set they were filming a scene when they're walking down the street, and uh, Harper Lee's there, and after the scene, she says to him, wow, you just were so much like my father. You even have his little pot belly. And he kind of <laughs> laughs and looks at her and goes, that's just good acting. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, great story. Oh, oh. That's so nice. Yep. Great. I mean, I have zero complaints about the movie, but there are so many scenes <laughs> from the book that don't make it to the movie that yeah. I love, especially oh, yeah. of the kids. Um and just their little like play interactions with each other. And I, as someone who, you know, watches films, I understand why they're cut, but I think so much of that is like the real heart of the book. Mm -hmm. So I love that there's like that scene of Atticus and Scout on the porch just talking about like, why did you teach me to read? My teacher's so mad at me that you taught me to read. And he's like, it's okay, I'll still read with you because that's so Mm -hmm. precious to her. And I think that's, something that was really precious to me with my parents and my grandparents was reading time as well. So I think that's, there's one reason mm-hmm. I have such a kinship with this story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's such a dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is why I could I never be so a screenwriter because you have to, like, if you're doing an adaptation, you have to murder your darlings and yeah. just like, I, could, I couldn't do it. Cut out your favorite part. Like, it just doesn't fit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But so much of it, I mean, they keep his speech pretty close to what's in the book yeah. and there's a lot of like really word for word things quoted in the film yeah that's true yeah. testament to how good the writing is in the book that yeah. it translates so well to film because not all books do yeah. yeah i'm sad she didn't write anything else <laughs> i know i know i wish she'd been a little bit less reclusive so that we could have gotten more more books but you know. i don't blame her yeah <laughs> But, and if well, you're going to write one book in your life, that was the one to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. First time out, you win that Pulitzer. It's sort of like, well, what do I yeah. do next? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, would hate oh, to, I would hate to ruin it. Cool. Well, anything else we want to talk about before we wrap this up? I want to make one last comment because <laughs> I can't not talk about this, but Jem <laughs> is my favorite character. Um, and <laughs> I... 
I mean, it sort of broke my heart when I read that in Ghost Side of Watchmen that he, like, allegedly dies in the future. I mean, he dies at some <laughs> point. And also, he's not real, but... Uh, <laughs> but I, I just love... I think for him, the story is an even more heartbreaking coming of age because he realizes that he'll have to kind of follow in Atticus's shoes even more than Scout because he's the first son. He kind of wants to be a lawyer and also doesn't want to be a lawyer. He wants to be his dad and he also doesn't want to be his dad because he sees the kind of world he's going to inherit. So Mm -hmm. it's tough stuff. Yeah. Are you the oldest? I am the oldest. So maybe, I, I think I relate to Jim more. <laughs> when he's always, I don't know, he's always telling Scout, you don't know yet. You're too young. <laughs> Some yeah. interactions. I'm he's like, very yeah, that's very true too. to me and my brother. <laughs> yeah. Just go up in the treehouse and read all alone. Yeah. He's like annoyed with his little siblings. So yeah, that maybe sounds a little yeah. bit like me. Yeah. He's really smart, though. I don't know. Through the trial, seeing it through their eyes is interesting because they picked up so quickly what Atticus is doing and what sort of argument he's trying to make. Mm-hmm. That That's a smart kid. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I admire him. Yeah. Uh, Gem and Scout remind me of my own kids because I have a boy and a girl, and yeah, they <laughs> act very similar already. <laughs> They're not, not quite the same age, but yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. keep them away from the neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Um, tune in next week when we will be talking about the English patient. Ooh. Ooh. We're getting very literary all of a sudden. I know. <laughs> we're um, all back to the future. <laughs> I know. We had a sci-fi, you know, stretch there. I and know. Now we're, and then, we're getting very highbrow. We're getting very <laughs> highbrow into literature. And then you know what? On our slate, we have a whole bunch of music stuff. We have hey. Carlos coming back for the Beatles. We have a Hamilton episode that's going to go up yes. on our Patreon. Uh, I'm not throwing away my shots. Oh, yeah, we have <laughs> ABBA. And then we have Yay! ABBA. Yay! <laughs> oh, I'm very cool. Just in time for the sequel? <laughs> yes! <laughs> exactly. We, saw, we looked at the calendar and he said, there's no way we're not doing a Mamma Mia episode. Yeah. <laughs> there's a sequel. So yeah, just to give you all a little sneak preview of where the next couple months are going. Some exciting stuff on the road. Very highbrow and then ABBA. (laughs) ABBA. Oh, is that? That's probably the exact opposite of the English patient. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But But we'll find out next week when we cover it. So join us then. Bye. Bye.